good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for taking the time to, to listen to your program today. Today's program is the first of a special two-part series on the subject of the gospel in the context of depression. If you'd like to hear the full unedited program, please get in touch with the contact details that are given at the end of the program. We do pray that today's program will be a benefit to your hearts. Let's read the Psalm 42 and the verse number one, the title to the chief musician, Maskell for the sons of Korda. As the heart panteth for the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I poured out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise for the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep, but the noise of thy water spouts, all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As of the sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say dearly unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Amen. May God bless his word and again to your hearing tonight. One thing I want to say at the very, very beginning is this, and that is that depression is a very painful condition. If you like, depression hurts. Abraham Lincoln says this in a book of depression. He said, I am the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. No less a man than Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in London, said this, expressing his own trials, I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. You think the psalmist, the Psalm 42, verse 3, my tears have been my meat day and night. Spurgeon goes on to say this, the iron bolt, again picturing an old door, None of these fancy locks with keys, but the bolt that will be crossed and locked that door in place. The iron bolt mysteriously fastens the door of hope 
and all holds our spirits in gloomy prison. Those are Spurgeon's words. Another more modern sufferer says this, I feel as though I died a few weeks ago and my body hasn't found out yet. Great perceptiveness in that sufferer, as there often is in those who suffer from depression and that they have this ability to express in quite poetic form somewhat of their sufferings. But to experience depression is to endure a most trying burden. And those who are spared need to be most compassionate towards those who suffer from it. Depression hurts. But as we introduce the matter, I want to initially say to you that to study depression requires immediately a cautious approach. And I say that because we live in a day when much ungodly psychology has crept in here. We're living in a day when there are many experts on the area of mental health and depression and such like subjects. And many of those who write and speak upon the subject, including those in the so-called Christian world, often do so without giving any credence to man's depravity and to sin. You cannot grapple with this subject without understanding the nature of our created in the image of God but fallen in the sins of Adam. The world offers various approaches. Some can be helpful, but others are simply at variance with the Scriptures. And many of them are based upon an assumption of man's inherent goodness and not with the recognition of man's sinfulness and depravity. And sadly, undiscerning Christians have allowed some of this ungodly psychology to creep into their own thinking, indeed, to creep into the church. You know, we do live in difficult days, don't we? And thus people, because of the failure of the church to understand these things, people have found themselves more and more going to the world. We must, in light of the Word of God, not allow ourselves to be conformed to the image, the likeness of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And thus we must think of this clearly and biblically with the help of the Spirit of God. So a cautious approach is required. But I also want to be careful in the definition. I want you to know what I'm really talking about, and, and that is that I'm not really dealing with the subject of the times that we feel down. You know, you, you, if you live with, with teenagers, you, you will understand this. They wake up in the morning, and they, they, the world is over, and all things are finished. But by lunchtime, it's not quite so bad. Well, we all go through those fluctuations of emotions. There are the ups and downs, are there not? Whereby sometimes we, we, we feel somewhat more elated, and other times we feel somewhat depressed and mood. I'm not really dealing with that sort of thing. What I will say, I believe, will help in that situation, but that is not really the focus of my, uh, my considerations tonight. We all have good and bad days. But there are some who sadly and tragically will suffer from deep persistent, yes, even chronic symptoms of depression. This was something that will not last for a day. It will not last for a few days. This will continue to last for, for weeks, months, and even longer at times. Those symptoms are things like low mood. They will express the fact that they don't feel good. They feel low. They feel depressed is the word they may use. There are also things like a loss of pleasure, 
Whereas before they may have enjoyed a nice meal, they may have enjoyed time with the family, they may have enjoyed a game of golf or something like that. They will say, well, I know I have no pleasure in those things anymore. They, they, they lose their ability to even enjoy the simple things of life. Many will complain of a lack of energy and feel that they're just not at themselves. They don't have the, the get up and go they used to have. They will have sleep disturbance in one way or the other, either too much or not enough. They may have feelings of worthlessness, feelings of life not being worth living. Some, of course, will go to struggle with thoughts of self-harm and even suicide. We are dealing with a situation here that has got a, a spectrum of its seriousness. But at its core, perhaps if I could put one word across it all, it is a feeling of hopelessness. Spurgeon used that term. He described the iron bolt that fastened what the door, the door of hope. Life not being worth living. A feeling of personal worthlessness alongside this idea of, of a low mood. It is, it is a common condition. Again, you're talking, talking of a, a lifetime prevalence in the Western world of somewhere at least about 14%. So that means 14 out of 100 at some point in their life will suffer such a bite of depression in the modern Western world. Some will say, well, it's clearly a modern condition. It's due to the modern world. Well, we'll say it's clearly not. Lincoln and Spurgeon are not what you would call modern figures. We shouldn't write it off as being something of the, the 20th or 21st century. But it does seem to be increasing. And thus there are factors that, that may be contributing to its increasing uh, nature in our culture. Well, we're living, of course, in a, a day and generation where there's a culture of expectation. Gone are the days when the son did the job of the father. And they were content to stay in that same sort of line of vocation. And they, they worked their way through that son to grandson and so forth and so on. Now we live in a day when our young people are expected to achieve and to be big achievers, to be high achievers and high earners. And thus, from a very early age there, they're being pushed to do these great things. But what happens? Sometimes that does not always materialize. And the sense of expectation leads to disappointment. We live in a culture, undoubtedly, of individualism. And some of those communities with, with low levels of depression, they are communities that have a very strong ethos upon the sense of community. And I'll say more of that on the Lord's Day evening. There's also, again, in the modern world, you trace it from maybe the 1960s and through into the present days, there is a culture of self-indulgence. If it feels good, do it. But what feels good is often very harmful. And thus, when it feels good, you do it. You often bring yourself into harm in various areas, including the area of mental health. There are consequences to pursuing a life of sin and self-indulgent pleasure. We do live in the Western world in a culture whereby happiness is the greatest goal. So long as you're happy, everything is well. And the church, the church has no theology of suffering. We have a culture of discontentment. You know, iPhones, they prove this. There's nothing wrong with the iPhone 4. And we're now 10. Why? Because of a culture of discontentment. The new things are not new enough. We need newer things. It's true in homes. It's true in cars. It's true in your cell phones. Whatever it might be, there needs to be more. And discontentment rules in the hearts of many. And all of these things, they all conspire together, I believe. 
And I believe are, are certainly something to do uh, with the issue of increasing uh, rates of depression in our day and generation. But none of those things really address the issue of cause. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to initially, I want to discuss the subject under the idea of encountering depression. What may be some of the causes? And then we'll think about the issue of escaping depression as we draw things to a close. So to begin with then, let's think about encountering depression. You see, to get to grips with the subject, or even to get to grips with how we can help others, we need to think about some of the potential causes. Now, an over, please listen, an oversimplistic approach will always lead to difficulties in pastoral care and will lead to a lack of compassion within the church. I'm not going to be too complicated here. I believe that to be so. But if we are oversimplistic, what may happen is that we are not wise in our pastoral care and we lack the compassion we ought to have. You see, the symptoms of depression occur in various settings in life. So here I'm just looking at these group of symptoms. Low mood, worthlessness, sleep disturbance, lack of energy. All of those symptoms, hopelessness, they occur in various settings. And therefore there must be care in trying to to, to tease out and differentiate what may be the cause of somebody's personal experience of these symptoms. You see, why a soul suffers is not often an easy question to answer. The psalmist asked with poignancy, Psalm 42, verse 5, verse 42, verse 11, verse 43, verse 5, why? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And thus, when you think about these matters of encountering depression, I want to divide it into two areas. I want to first of all think about areas where there is, if you like, an obvious cause. And then we'll come to think of areas where there may not be such an obvious cause. So, if we're thinking about an obvious cause, the first thing I must say is that the experience of depression can result from conviction of sin. I put that out at the start. The experience of depression and the experience and the symptoms of depression can absolutely come as a result of conviction of sin. Now I put that first because there are some in the evangelical world who believe that that is the only reason whereby someone is depressed. Because there is some guilt or some issue in the past whereby they they, they know conviction and that's why they're depressed. I don't believe that and you'll see that very soon. But I also don't want to so deny that that you think that's not true. Because it is true. You read the accounts of revival uh, and you read of people when the Spirit of God comes upon an area and what do they experience? They experience deep symptoms of depressive-like illnesses. Feelings of hopelessness, worthlessness. Their sleep is deprived. They struggle in various areas until they can get to the problem which is dealing with the matter of their sin. You see, you look at the psalmist in various ways. The psalmist in Psalm 38 or 51 reveals many physical or psychological consequences of conviction. You you turn back to Psalm 38, please. We're close to it. Psalm 38. And look look at the verse number 3. 
There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. You see what he's saying here? He's describing a mixture of, of physical and psychological symptoms due to the reality that he's conscious of his iniquity, he's conscious of his sin. What hope is there for such a soul? It is, of course, again, the hope of the gospel in Christ. Christ came, and by his blood, he's able to purge the guilty conscience from every stain of sin, whereby those who suffer this way a cast-down soul as a result of conviction of sin. They suffer this way. Their eyes are lifted up to behold the man of Calvary. And when they see him, they find what? They find joy and peace. Joy evermore in the gospel. Amen. There is that precious truth in the Word of God, and I want to highlight it at the very beginning. But in this same area, we're still thinking this issue of conviction of sin. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 16, please. You have here the account of Saul, and you have a most, most interesting and most troubling verse in the verse number 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, I'm not going to deal with the issue of the departing spirit. It's not a subject for tonight. But I do want to look about that issue of the evil spirit that troubled him. It's interesting, on down the portion as an aside, he enlists David to come and play for him the, uh, the benefits of music and the helping of the soul's cast down spirit is an interesting subject in itself in this portion. But what I want you to see is there is an evil spirit and it's said to come from the Lord. The word evil there does not necessarily denote moral evil. And thus you, you should not read it as such. God is not capable of sending moral evil into somebody's soul. But the word evil there is in, in the Hebrew language, the word for bad. It can mean evil in various senses without denoting immoral meaning. And so it's a troublesome spirit. It's a bad spirit. But note it's come, coming from the Lord. What's happening here? God is coming and he is chastising Saul. He is rebuking Saul for his sin. And what happens? He has a troubled spirit. And therefore, again, we, we should not close ourselves away from the idea that someone with depression can be under the judicial sentence of God for their sin. And that is sometimes, perhaps it's even often the case, that there are those who, who pursue wicked lives. You think of the LGBT community. They pursue their own ends, who rebel against the Word of God, and you see the high rates of depression in such a people group. And they can do all they want to blame where we're being bullied and we're being persecuted by the, by the world around us, but they will ignore the fact that the way of the transgressor is hard. God may, in His mercy, give them a troubled spirit that they would seek His grace and His hope. Of course, what is true for that population is also true for the wicked heterosexual, pursuing a life of hedonism in the world, 
and finding themselves in a corner whereby the door of hope was closed. There is, young people, there is no lasting joy in the sins of this world. And so, it may be the case that we turn to such souls in pastoral care and we say to them, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That in Christ and in his kingdom there is hope for those who mourn as a result of their sin. And God can lift up those who suffer. He lifts them up through the death and resurrection of the Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, these obvious causes, it may be as a result of conviction of sin. But in the second place, it may be a reaction to life's troubles. To life's troubles and to life's disappointments. Bereavement. Unemployment. Mortal disappointments. Some of those things, and that's just a selection, some of those things can lead people into very deep bouts of depression. They can have a very dramatic impact upon our moods. I think we see an example in the Word of God in 1 Kings 19. Please turn to 1 Kings 19. And here in 1 Kings 19 we have the account of Elijah. He has just known the triumph on Mount Carmel. He's, he's seen the people confess, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. He's, he has seen the fire coming from heaven. He's seen God answering prayer in the re, and he, he surely must see a turn in the wickedness of Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel. But what happens? Uh, no, there is no turn. Jezebel says, I'm going to kill him. And Elijah will die. And what happens in Elijah's situation? Verse number 9. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. He requests for himself that he might die. There is a sense, is there not, where he says that their life is no longer worth living. And there are various complexities in Elijah's case here as to, as to why he feels that. But I'm simply showing he did feel it. I'm not saying he was depressed. I don't believe that. This is just a, a short-term issue in Elijah's emotional state. But I want to simply use it as an example to show you that life and its situations can lead us to disappointment. And when it does so, it can lead us to discouragement and yeah, even unto depression. The Lord's direction in his word to enable us to deal with our cares will be the subject tomorrow night. But the very fact that God tells us how we should deal with our cares is an indication that our cares can trouble our peace. We can lose our peace. Our hearts, in the language of John 14, can be troubled and can be afraid. The disciples, of course, fearful of our Lord's leaving them. And thus, we must cling on to the promise of the Word of God. You take the likes of Psalm 55 in the verse number 22. Cast thy burdens upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall not for suffer the righteous to be moved. So there are these events, this reactive depression, if you like, whereby we respond in a negative fashion to life's troubles and disappointments. I would say when we respond poorly, we are guilty of sin. And if we respond poorly to God's sovereign providence, there is the need for gracious and tender and gentle rebuke that people would see that they are not responding aright to God's providence and must cast their burdens upon the Lord. The third area of these sort of more obvious causes is that depression can occur alongside 
another physical illness. It has been noted that depression will often come alongside, if you like, a cancer diagnosis. Depression itself can be a symptom of an underactive thyroid. Your thyroid gland in your, in your neck producing thyroxin. If your thyroid is underactive, you can have depressive symptoms. And sometimes people are diagnosed with underactive thyroid disease because they come and feel depressed. And so there are these physical illnesses. Heart disease, cancer. One of the most difficult occasions is to find depression occurring in the mother of a newborn. It doesn't seem to make any sense. You find mothers who are very, very capable, who are not struggling with the raising of the child. The child is beautiful. In Scotland, you say it's a bonny lass. And they look at the child, and all is well, but what they experience are symptoms of deep depression. It makes no sense, but we see it often. And again, it's a reminder to us that there are physical components in our lives that may have an impact upon our mental well-being, and we should not close ourselves out to such things. You'll have heard of accounts where such mothers will even take their own lives. The church must not be callous towards those who suffer in such a way. And yet sometimes they are. If depression arises in these situations, it is vital that appropriate medical help is sought out. I'm just saying to you, be aware that this is not always quite so straightforward as we might think it is. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The interaction of body and soul, the never-dying soul, a body under the fall, all of these things, they come together. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as others suffer around us, we must make sure we have compassion toward them. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified. Thank you.